Hey everybody, how's the crew doing? Hey, Coach Matt here. Thanks for taking a few minutes, whether you're out on the bike or the car or on the train or whatever you're doing. I sure do appreciate your time. I really do. Hey, you know, I see it dozens and dozens of times on forums like Reddit, you know, Reddit landscape, Reddit plants, etc. People want to know what is wrong with their plant, with their tree, with their shrub or, or whatever. This week we share a quick six-step approach with you. Something that you can use to diagnose your plant health problems that may occasionally crop up in your landscape. It's also a bit of a self-reliance thing too. As always, I'm glad you're here. Let's get started, shall we? Hey, I'm Matt, you can call me coach. Every Friday I bring with me landscape DIY education, concepts and theories, ideas and solutions so you guys can go out and Tackle a landscape project yourself, get professional results, save a whole lot of money in the process, and in this day and age, be a lot more self-reliant. Man, after a 20 plus year career in the green industry, I'm bringing with me a lot of knowledge and experience that I wanna share with you guys, the new, modern, educated, self-reliant homeowner of today. You know, recognizing and evaluating and curing one way or another any problems that you have plant-wise out in the landscape is really a big part of being a uh, responsible homeowner it really is you know the self-reliance and problem solving skills one needs to properly maintain mitigate problems and in some cases avoid plant health issues altogether you know something that that really comes from someone who actually gives a crap about you know the mortgage payment that they make every single month you're responsible for everything that's within that property line and why wouldn't you want it to be at its best 99 percent of the time hey face it plants are expensive these days at the nursery the other day maestro and i saw a five gallon plant a simple five gallon plant it was over $50. You know, with this, you need to know what you are doing at planting time, how to repair problems, cure and avoid certain plant issues as they may arise because, damn, I could do a lot with 50 bucks and not just buy it on one single plant. So that's what we're talking about here today. Once again, I'm bringing to you some uh, education tips and training that I learned decades ago in my education with the acronym that you're going to hear today that are still very very applicable you know nothing has changed the plant problems that were there many many moons ago are still there today with some exceptions i mean there's been some hybridization that's been done that has eliminated some problems but certainly you know a good 90 percent of them 95 percent of them are still out there every here and there you know i really find these six steps easy to remember or for you guys maybe you want to jot it down for future reference are they a cure for everything no no certainly not i'm not here to tell you that but it will certainly and they certainly do address a majority of the issues that plants suffer from in the residential or commercial ornamental landscape arena they really do so the acronym we're going to learn today you have to say it. It doesn't sound like a word. It's just an acronym. L-D-W-C-I-D. L-D-W-C-I-D. So let's jump into it, shall we? First one, L. L is location. Now, many, many years ago, when I was a plant diagnoser of problems in the nurseries that I worked at, people would bring in little samples of this and that and the other thing and go 
hey, coach, what's, what's wrong with this? And what do I need to do? And basically, just like a human walking into a doctor's office, what does the doctor generally do? They evaluate, they assess, they ask questions. They're really a health detective. They really are. And that's what I used to do. So when people would come in, you know, I would say, hey, okay, well, let's, uh, can I ask a few questions? And certainly location would be one of the first ones that I would ask. Is the plant based on the plant's needs in the right place? And for instance, do we have a uh, sensitive little Japanese painted fern sitting out in 10 hours of broiling sunlight on the curb line of the fence line of the property. Not the right plant and certainly not the right place. Then again, I would say, well, depending on the plant, is it wind protected? You know, is, is it in a place where if it has a constant prevailing hot, dry winds in the summertime, does this plant tolerate something like that? And then it might be something of some type of a ground cover or something that cannot tolerate foot traffic or any other kind of traffic, or is it kind of left alone and let, let it do its thing, but it's not meant to be walked on. So you see how some of these initial location type of questions would come into play when it, when it comes to plant diagnosis of problems. So that would be location. Number two, depth. Depth, probably one of the biggest plant-based mortality issues I have ever seen when things came into the nursery, or when I was a contractor and I would be redoing a yard and a conversation would pop up between me and my clients. And they'd say, why did this plant over here die? And I swear to gosh, between this one and another one coming up, it usually boiled down to depth. Depth. I'm speaking to depth of planting. Not all plants are a tomato, guys. You know, tomatoes can kind of be planted a little deep even planted angular in the springtime or early summer, and they're meant to do that. Man, they send out roots right from that trunk of the, the tomato plant and really strengthens the plant and is able to stand up to more fruit on it later in the season. But that does not apply to a lot of the other ornamental plants that are out there in the world. There is a uh, industry standard, if you would, a standard, a way to successfully plant almost all ornamental plants and 95% of the time, and 95% of the time, if this standard way is adhered to, you don't have depth problems arise. You really don't. Many times plants settle too deep in the planting holes because soil was not compacted underneath the root ball. As a result, over time, with water and settling issues, soils and mulches collect around the base of the plant, which is critical to plant respiration, it really is. And the, the trunks of these shrubs, these perennials, these trees, whatever they are, they were not meant to be subterranean. They were meant to be above the ground, let the roots do their thing. The plant basically ends up suffocating. And as a result, things like uh, crown rot come into play. And you can see this if you, if you have a plant out there that is, uh, without giving the next one away too much, you can see it by easily moving the soil out of the way and see if soil and mulches have collected along the trunk down to where the first roots start. And you can really see the bark is kind of flaking away and it's easy, just take your fingernail. If that stuff is brown and gushy looking, 
you know that you've got crown rot and that thing is settled too deep. You know, you can really avoid this by compacting that soil really firmly underneath the root ball. The roots will still get out in it, I guarantee you. And then make sure that that hole that you have and when you place the root ball in there, it is actually sticking up above the ground just a little bit, maybe an inch or so. And when it's elevated like that above the natural grade, this will allow settling to grade and not below grade. Very, very important and easy to diagnose most of the time. Okay, let's move on to our W. That refers to water. This is the largest necessary evil in our world in so many ways. The largest necessary evil, especially in the plant world. Almost all plants, you know, except for some of the air ferns and tillandsias and other things that they just kind of get moisture and humidity right out of the air. But almost all plants need water to survive, right? But we as homeowners tend to overwater far more than we need to. We really do. Many times this excess water results in root rot because we have saturated the soils, soils that maybe hold water for a lot longer than we know. And as a result, things just start suffocating again at the root level now. Root rot will look like wilting. You'll have a, a perfectly good plant when you put it in the ground and 30 days later, or maybe 60 days later, it's starting to droop and wilt. And you're kind of going, oh my God, you know, th this thing's wilting. And for the under-informed, people think, ah, it's wilting, it needs more water. So we throw more water on it and more root rot takes place. And we think that that's gonna cure it and it actually makes the problem even worse. You know, in reality, a great majority of ornamental plants and yards all over the world probably need about half the water we give them. Plus, how we water is a big consideration and when we water is a bigger consideration. Here's a little quick check for you, something that you can, you can do before you go out and drown the plant again is uh, move the mulch or gravels or whatever you have away from it. Check that depth like we covered in the last segment and then do the second knuckle test. We did this a lot with house plants, but you can do it with landscape plants as well. Just scratch a little hole down into that root ball and if you're finding sufficient moisture, I mean, ample moisture sticking to your finger and underneath your fingernail, you know that everything below that is probably gonna be pretty darn wet. You don't need to water right at the moment. Remember, your root ball, your plant, actually absorbs micro amounts of water at the very little tips, the root hairs of that root ball. And those are generally on the periphery of the root ball when you plant, and as it starts to take hold and establish itself, and it goes down into the, the rest of the looser soils, well, if you stick your finger down in there, find the moisture at a second knuckle, it's gonna be plenty wet inches below that as well. And you can pass on the watering. Remember, water can kill as easily as it can provide life, just like it does to humans, am I right? I mean, if you don't have enough and get really severely seriously dehydrated, you can die. But the same thing goes is you can drown if you don't know how to swim or something. So water is really a, a push me, pull you type of thing. But in the plant world, it's the same. Lastly, and this is super important, know the needs of the plants you are planting. Are they grouped? You know, do you have groupings of plants 
with like water needs. You know, if you have a hydrangea or some ferns or water-loving plants, and then in the same grouping you have something like manzanita, and it's all watered in the same way, chances are, chances are that manzanita is going to go peace out in about 60 days because it will not want to compete with the type of water needs that a hydrangea might need. So grouping plants with totally different demands can really be a recipe for disaster of great frustration and certainly upon mortality. A waste of money, my gosh, it really is. Okay, let's move on to our, uh, our CID part. C stands for critters. You know, depending on what plants you have, they can be a basic smorgasbord, absolute, you know, golden corral type of smorgasbord for local critters. Everything from deer, squirrels, mice, rats, rabbits, and the like, they can really wreak havoc on a new or existing ornamental landscape. This really doubles seriously when natural forage for these critters goes away because of development or becomes scarce during certain times of year. You know, signs are pretty obvious and range from a little nibbling here and there to all the way to the total munch to the ground, which I've seen lots and lots of times. They like them so much, they come in there at four o'clock in the morning and just annihilate a hedge. You know, when it comes to controls for the, ma the mammalian side of our critters, usually barriers of some kind, plus a little domestic help from doggo isn't, isn't a bad idea. This is not true when you have things that are underground though, like voles and gophers, maybe some squirrels. Then a diligent trap or bait program is usually instituted. You know, these little bastardos uh, can have multi-generations within the area and often require eliminating grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, and the babies over the course of an entire season. And you have to keep your eye vigilant because, you know, sometimes the neighbor next door who doesn't control their critters or two streets away who don't control their critters, they're going to find what they need to eat in order to survive. Plain and simple. So critters are the big C in our acronym. All right, I. I stands for infestation. This comes from the buggies, the insect world. You know, spring is usually the big push for buggy insect explosion and seeing the damage as a result. But also it can wane off into summer as well. Since they have an abbreviated lifespan comparatively to us and mammals, knocking down twice a year, say like a a good knockdown in the spring and then another one in early summer, oftentimes you will you will get a great leg up on any future problems. But word to the wise, if Joe next door or Sally across the street does nothing to control her buggies or anything, the problem can start all over again and can extend the buggy season for a long, long time. And I don't want to limit it to just insects too. There's There's creepy crawlies that love to come in. You know, when you have earwigs and sow bugs, slugs and snails, those are easily, nah, I shouldn't say easily, they can be controlled and they can be uh, got under control with certain applications of various things. And I know there's a lot of people out there, especially when it comes to slugs and snails, they love to put out the beer or they love to put out the quarries or whatever deadline. If it works, it works. If you have a more holistic or 
ecologically friendly approach to it, hey, knock yourself out that way too. There are numerous approaches to bugs. I mean, you can have the, the harsh chems and the more environmentally conscious controls. You know, I think a little research in this day and age can usually point you in the right direction and in a direction that you're comfortable with. So everything from a, a strong stream of water to knock off aphids off your spring roses, all the way up to a chemical treatment program dispensed by a licensed professional. And believe me, a lot of the licensed professionals out there use a lot of environmentally conscious type of approaches now. And all you need to do is ask if you decide to go down that road. Okay, last one, D. D is for disease. This topic is usually a direct result of some mistake in the other five categories we have discussed. For instance, if you make a mistake with a plant on the location of it, uh, you put a full sun plant in a moist, shady environment, you can end up with things like mildews and funguses. Watering the wrong time of day can also cause disease problems for water sitting on leaves and not shedding as fast as it should. Then you get sooty mold funguses, you get powdery mildews, black spot on roses, all kinds of stuff. I have found a state of awareness is the best defense to curbing a disease outbreak in the landscape. Knowledge also. Having an idea of what the plants in your landscape might be subjected to with a little bit of due diligence and research can go miles in preventing or certainly quickly curing. You know, when it comes to diseases, like diseases with ourselves, they're humans. If we find it early, we can treat it and cure it without huge protracted efforts that often sometimes, like humans, come too little too late. Finally, with all the information at our disposal, at our fingertips in the times we live in, it is almost impossible, absolutely impossible, to not diagnose your plant problems. There are always resources like a nursery professional, which, hey, I did it for many years. There's also cooperative extensions based on uh, state and university attachments that could help you. And within some counties, there are master gardeners that put on little clinics that you can take stuff to. You know, once correctly diagnosed, the corrective measure can be easily obtained. Whether it comes from a bottle or from a store or a spray, maybe a, a, a deer fence, a adjustment on your timers, maybe pruning out part of something that's infested or infected, or in the drastic cases, replacement might be a solution. They are always at hand and you have to exercise good, good common sense when it comes to it. Being self-reliant and reach out to others only when needed is a curbing of taking the easy way out all the time. Think for yourself. It really goes a long ways to bolster your own knowledge base and your pride as a homeowner. This living things we have in the yard are very reliant on you, especially when young. Take care of this expensive investment. It will take care of you with great performance, color, and much, much lower maintenance. Hey, that's what I got for you guys this week. You know, as always to your landscape success, I am always here to help as needed. And a special thanks out to a young man by the name of Kurt out there who dropped a kind note to me this week got some advice, and I think he's going to do very well in his new horticultural position. I really do. Hey, check out some of the other educational podcasts I have and the videos on YouTube I have. Check out some of the other educational videos I have 
and other podcasts if you're on the go. Please subscribe and follow along every week, whether it be here on the podcast or over on the YouTube channel. And I also have Plants of the Week, something that might give you a, a little inspirational uptick if you're planning on doing your own landscape project or improvement. As always, bye for now. Catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Yard Coach Podcast. Don't forget to head over to the website at youryardcoach.com where you will find more DIY landscape education, including the free 15-step DIY landscape checklist, Coach Matt's ebook called Landscaping Simplified, and the flagship digital course, Homescape 1.0. As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can email Coach Matt directly at youryardcoach at gmail.com. We'll see you right here next week.